Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Well, uh, before we get into the sermon, I just want to say that Man, that last song, The Blessing, um, you need to hear that God is for you. Um, this past week, I, I had an opportunity to pray for people. And uh, Joy FM, they do this thing every year. It's called Help and Hope. And, and uh, they ask local pastors to pray for people. I took about 20 calls or so. And, um, and, and it, was, it was good um, it, for my soul to minister to people. It was also really hard because people are broken. And, uh, and, and sometimes life is not going the way that you uh, would uh, expect it to, and you need to hear that God is for you. He's not, he's not a cosmic killjoy in the sky that is, you know, sitting there with, uh, you know, a, a magnifying glass like the bully on the anthill. That is not God. And so if you want to talk more about, like, who is God? And uh, at Redemption, who do you believe God to be? And what do you mean he's for me? If, if, if you're av- having those questions, I would love to get coffee with you to connect with you and just have a, have a chat. So anyway, take me up on that offer if you'd like. Um, last week, we talked about numbers. We talked about redemption by the numbers. Uh, throughout the season and every year annually, we want to be looking at what does it mean to be a part of redemption and what did redemption do the previous year? And so redemption by the numbers, we're going to give you a couple this week. And before we even go into those numbers, just know this, like I'm awful at numbers, like really, really, really awful. I feel two math classes in college, the only uh, classes I've ever failed. Um, and, and, and you're thinking like, okay, like, did you try? Yes, I tried. I tried hard, okay? I like actually spent extra time with tutors. It just, you know, this, this part or this part, whatever part works with math, it doesn't work for me. I'd be an awful actuary, okay? So like numbers are my nemesis, all right? But this is what I know. I know that when we are worshiping God, it, it, it does well for us and for God's glory for us to worship him specifically. All throughout scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, people would, would be specific of how, or about how they would worship God. So much so in the Old Testament that they would, they would literally build an altar for that one thing that God did in their community, in their midst. And so understand that here at Redemption, we get specific when we get to thank God and praise him for the things that he had done in our church the previous year. Um, okay, we had 380 podcast plays. That's pretty cool. Uh, people are listening to the podcast. It only launched like two months ago, so 380 is pretty good. Uh, we had 107 YouTube subscribers for a small church like ours. That's great. So God's doing cool things there, and people are connecting not just in St. Louis area, but, um, you know, but around uh, the country. And for those of you that are joining digitally, uh, this is a good time for me to say welcome. Uh, glad that you are here today. Thank you so much for joining in. Uh, we know that, that uh, a lot of our people are joining in digitally. Um, I mean, you guys don't know this, but this past week I connected with two different people that uh, joined with us digitally. We hung out and had some coffee and chilled. Uh, and so, you know, they're there, they're real, uh, even though we don't get to see them here yet, uh, but we will uh, one day. Okay, so the other thing I wanna highlight is we, um, just, just some of our money, uh, you know, kind of where some of our money went. We did this thing called Add to the Tab. 
maybe you saw it. Um, it. We ended up landing on the news for it, not intentionally. We didn't like put out a press release or whatever. I, I figured out what a press release was after that. I didn't even know what that was. But uh, anyway, um, but we, we gave uh, uh, gave away $1,250 to local restaurants specifically. So restaurant industry workers. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, you can, you can, you can cheer for that. It was pretty awesome. It was a cool moment. Um, and God just used it. It wasn't our idea. We stole it from a winery that did it. Anyway, but uh, it was cool. It was a cool thing. And uh, people, there were some really cool moments where these restaurant workers were like, hey, thanks for the free meal. Like, we're really struggling right now. So, and then the other thing, uh, oh, and before I even go to the SUVs, uh, we also, just so you know, we gave $1,500 away to Young Life um, at the end of the year, and, uh, and, and to be transparent, last year we gave 1000 this year we gave 1500 We want to be um, a, a, an increasing supporter of nonprofits in our community, like things that are not us, right? Like sometimes uh, when it comes to money, people just take it and they're like, hey, I'm going to keep it and I'm going to use it for me, right? Well, that's not us. Like, like we want to do the things that God called us to do, and that's to, uh, to be generous, to support other people who are also doing the work of the ministry. So $1,500 we gave to Young Life. I got to write that check to John Beaumont, their director, this past Wednesday. It was awesome. Uh, it's just really cool to be with that man and hear the, um, hear the ministry that they're doing at Young Life. And then two SUVs uh, full of food donations for Kirk Care. If you don't know about Kirk Care, it's an incredible uh, nonprofit ministry here in, in Kirkwood. And they specifically help people who need food, who uh, are hard up on their luck and they need, you know, some, some food. And so if you want to uh, continue just on your own dime and your own time, if you want to uh, continue to support them, like don't wait until we go, hey, we're going to fill some SUVs. Um, they have boxes at almost all the grocery stores, okay? So if you go to Fresh Time, Deerberg's, whatever, like they have, there are these red boxes, it says Kirk Care on there, and, uh, and, and go help them because they really do need that, that support. And they rely on the goodness of people in this community. And I would like to think that more than anybody in the community, the most generous and giving people are going to be Christians. I, I would like to think that. Now, maybe that's naive. I don't think it is. I believe that God calls us to outgive everyone else, and we're gonna we're gonna do that. That's our goal. And so, uh, if if you have the opportunity, give to Kirk Care. Okay, COVID slowed us down in 2020. It dampened us, but it did not stop us. As you can see, we we, we still did some great things. We'll give you more numbers next week. Um, but our our goal, our hope and goal, is that in 2021 uh, we are unleashed unfettered, uh, fetter is a chain, we're unchained, we're unleashed, and, uh, and we can go just crazy in the community, loving people, taking care of those who have those needs, and, uh, and just telling people about the gospel of Jesus. So, okay, that's uh, Redemption by the Numbers. At the end of this series, we're going to give you an actual, like, um, document type of thing that's going to kind of give a, a um, you know, breakdown of what we did in 2020, just so you can have that and, uh, and reflect on that, and then so that you can dream at the end of that, uh, what can we do in 2021? What can we do that's going to be different and better than we did in 2020? Okay? All right. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, last week we talked about love, and uh, specifically we're in this series, We Are Redemption. We're looking at the commands that God has on our life as individuals, and then collectively, what does that look like as a church? As a church, what should we be doing? Uh, how should we then operate based off the things that God calls us to do. Last week we talked about love, right? And, uh, and, and we, we said that, that Jesus calls us to love just as he loved. I mean, that is a hard, that, that's not an easy command. That's a hard command because if you didn't know, spoiler alert, he died on a cross, okay? So just as he loved, he calls us to love. So we got to figure out how do we do that while we're alive, while we're living, how do we love just as Jesus loved us. This week, we're going to be talking about giving. And uh, if you're like, hey, listen, wait a minute. 
uh, we talked about giving in our Simplify series, and I think a year ago we had another sermon on giving. That's totally true. You know that Jesus, roughly 15% of his overall teaching was on giving. He actually spoke more about money than anything else, and I believe, I believe he did so because he knew that it grips our heart. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart lies. And that redemption, uh, we don't want anything to grip our heart except for the love of Jesus. And so what that means is we have the opportunity all the time to be givers, to be generous givers. <laughs> and, uh, and so today we're going to be talking about uh, giving. We're going to be talking about uh, a parable. I'm so excited to teach on this parable. Uh, I want to get there quickly, so I'm going to run through some stuff on the front end. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, every Friday night, my parents and I, we would typically go to a burger joint. That was our style. We would go to like a fast food place. Typically, it was Wendy's. And, uh, and if you're wondering, like, Corey, what was your order at Wendy's? It's a double bacon cheeseburger and fries, okay? Sometimes when it's cold, I would go chili, you know? You know what I'm saying? It's like 20 degrees out in Ohio. Sometimes you just got to go chili. But anyway, double, or, or, uh, uh, a junior bacon cheeseburger and fries. That's what I did. So, uh, but inevitably, every Friday night, I would be sitting there across from my father, and I would, I, would, I would lay my fries out, and I would take a bite out of my burger, and that first bite out of my burger, you know what my dad would do? He'd reach across, and he'd grab three or four of my fries, and then he'd eat them, you know, like right in front of me, like the gall from this guy, you know, like are you kidding me? I'm about to pop my old man, you know, I didn't do that, right? But I was like angry at him, and I would say, dad, those are my fries, you know, I'm like 10 years old, 11 years old, those are my fries, and he goes, your fries? Did you buy those fries? He goes, no, that's a dad tax. You didn't buy those fries. I bought those fries. I own those fries. And because I'm a good and loving father, I let you eat most of them, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so he would take those fries inevitably. But we understand this. We, we get this. I, I think we've all been in a situation where uh, we have been the stewards or the managers of something, but not necessarily the owners of that thing or those things. When I was in college, uh, I was the guy who... <laughs> Uh, came into a house with nothing. Yes, like nothing. I came, I came with a bed. Uh, it was a queen-size inflatable mattress. I slept on it for four or five years. And uh, that thing, man, it was, it was trusty, tried and true. Towards the end, I had to get up in the middle of the night and, you know, put some more air into it. But anyway, um, so I would, I, would, I would stay in these, uh, these, you know, houses and apartments. But I didn't bring anything. And what that meant was I was the steward of my roommate's things. Anything that was, you know, commonplace was in the, in the center, right? Like, you know, couches and, and you know, gamer chairs and, and video game systems and TVs and things like that. I was the steward of those things. So what that meant was when I was over there video game and I'm playing Call of Duty until, you know, 2 a.m. or whatever, and, uh, you know, my, my roommate was like, hey, I actually want to watch a movie. Um, guess what I did? I got off of it, right? Because it's not mine. I'm not the owner. And so I don't, I don't call the shots. I don't make the decisions. Um, I was just a steward. I think you get that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into any more examples, but we understand this. Okay, we're going to jump right into Scripture. Here at Redemption, what we do is we go together. We go there together. And uh, the way we do that is we all start at the table of contents. So we're going to go to the table of contents, um, and, uh, and then I'll tell you where we're, where we're going to be going. Table of contents, everybody turn there in your physical Bibles or your digital Bibles. The reason we do that, I've, I think I shared this stat last week, but I'll share it from time to time. Um, those who would say that they are regular attenders of church, uh, th those who say they're regular attenders of a church, only 40% uh, of them regularly read their Bible, which means that the majority of us in here even, we're not reading it on a daily or weekly basis, and so we want to refresh. We're going to go to the table of contents. We're going to go to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 25. 
Matthew 25. Okay, Matthew is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the biographies of Jesus. And, um, and if you don't know this, I'm going to take you a step deeper. This is called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse. In the Olivet Discourse, there are three different stories, three different parables that Jesus teaches. And, uh, and basically, they have, uh, they, they have this apocalyptic nature. Okay, so it's also known as little apocalypse. Think like little Italy, right? It's not the apocalypse. It's not Italy. It's just the little one. And so uh, Jesus, he's talking about that, uh, you know, about the little apocalypse or the, or, or the Olivet Discourse. In the Olivet Discourse, you see these three parables. You see the parable of the virgins. You see the parable of the talents. And then you see the parable of the goats, the sheep and the goats. Now, this is what the, those three things are saying. The parable of the virgins, they're saying, don't miss the party. There's going to be a party, and it's going to be in heaven. Don't miss the party. You should read that on your own time. It's fascinating. The parable of the talents is this. Don't waste your life. You have one life. Don't waste it, okay? Um, you know, Jesus was, was, was far beyond his time with YOLO, right? He got it, okay? Parable of sheep and goats is this. Uh, take care of what God cares most about, and that's the hurting and the lost. So take care of those who are hurting and lost, okay? That's the Olivet Discourse. If, uh, if you would break those down, essentially it's this. Depend, declare, and demonstrate the gospel. Depend on the gospel. Uh, declare the gospel, and then demonstrate the gospel. And if you do those three things, you're going to be fine. Okay, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at verse uh, four, 14 is where we're going to start. And uh, Jesus starts, and he says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by. Now listen, when, when, when Jesus teaches, he is crazy about the kingdom of God. If you read through his teachings, you will be amazed at how often Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. It literally makes up like half of his teaching. Like everything, even when he's talking about finances, even when, like it doesn't matter what he's talking about, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. We got to pay attention to this. Now uh, beyond that, just know that at redemption, we are addicted to the kingdom of God. We really are. And we're not just addicted to hearing about the kingdom of God, but we're addicted to seeing the kingdom of God come to earth, to actually be a literal thing that comes here and rests in Kirkwood and the surrounding areas. Um, and this is a very biblical thing. In Matthew chapter 6, this is when, when Jesus is giving his, uh, um, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? Like, like he says, pray as I have prayed. Like I mean, he's teaching us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus is praying for a kingdom, a literal kingdom, to come from heaven and to, and to come onto earth, to, to be a part of earth. Now, uh, the way that this works is the kingdom of heaven, this is a longer conversation, but it's tangible and intangible. It's both. It is physical, okay? Like, that's what we see in Scripture. There is a, there's a place with boundaries, Scripture talks about. There's, there is a ruler. There is a set of rules. There's all these types of things that you would think of uh, when you would think of, like, an earthly kingdom. There is that. There's also this intangible, this spiritual thing that's happening. And Jesus is telling us that we need to be praying for the kingdom of God to come from heaven and to be here on earth, to rest on earth. And so it's very biblical, and when we talk about the kingdom of God at redemption, we are addicted to seeing this. Jesus, he begins a lot of his illustrations by saying the kingdom of God can be illustrated by, and he says, continuing in verse 14, it can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. 
He gave five bags of silver to one and two bags of silver to another, the one bag of silver to the last, uh, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Okay, so when we look at a parable, the first thing that we want to look at is who are the players? Who are the people and who do they represent? Okay, so I'm going to, like, up front, be very clear. The master represents Jesus. Okay, the master is Jesus. Um, the, the servant is humanity. It's, it's us, okay? So it represents us holistically, and we're going to get into kind of the divisions there and what that looks like, um, you know, the, the differences in humanity, but it's humanity. And then we need to look at, uh, you know, the actual things. Um, his first point here, he's talking about money. Now, whose money is it? his money. It's not the servant's money. This man who is like wickedly wealthy, like just crazy, crazy wealthy, um, he takes the money, his money, and he gives it to the servants. Uh, now, before we, before, we, before we go any further, I just want to be clear. As the disciples are hearing this, they're not hearing like your talents and your gifts like, oh, you're really good at baking. So, like, it's, you know, it's probably like, hey, you should make muffins for people, you know. They're not hearing that. They literally are hearing money, okay. Um, we take it, and, and, and there is an application into other physical things that we're going to talk about. But understand that at first here, they're hearing finances, money, okay. A talent actually was not a monetary value. A talent was a, a weight of measurement, and so there are many different types of talents. Uh, it depended if you were uh, measuring a talent of gold, silver, bronze, or copper. Now, our translation says silver, but the reality is it, it could have been gold, bronze, or copper. Um, the, the original language doesn't really, uh, you know, make it clear. Okay, so uh, they, they have this money. Now, now, how much money of it is the masters and how much money of it is the servants? It's all the masters. All of it. Not 10% of it, not 1% of it, uh, all of it is the master's money. And here's the bottom line for today. And we're going to see it throughout. We are the owners of nothing, but the managers of everything. We are 10-year-old Corey Ball in Wendy's in Worcester, Ohio. Uh, whose fries are those? My dad said, no, no, they're, they're my fries. I bought them. I'm, I'm letting you eat them, or most of them, because I'm a good father. And so we need to understand that the money here that the master's talking about, that's all his. We're the owners of nothing, but we're the managers of everything. Now, these three servants, they were expected to use the money for the same goals that the master would use them for. And you understand this as well. Uh, who has been to a financial advisor, a financial planner. Like, I think everybody over 25, maybe, I don't know. Uh, financial advisor, right? Okay, the very first thing that a financial planner asks you is this. What are your financial goals? <laughs> right? They do. What, what are your goals in life? Like, what age do you want to retire by? Do you want to own a car? Do you want to own a house? Do you want to own a business? Do you want to have children? Uh, if you die, uh, how much money do you want to leave your family? Financial planners, financial investors, they ask you, what are your goals? Now, the reality is the financial advisor, they probably have some goals of their own. And their goal might be to own a second house in the mountains of Colorado, to own a third in Barcelona, and to own a yellow Ferrari. But it doesn't matter what their goals are. It's not their money. They're managing your money, right? 
So their personal goals in their life doesn't matter one bit. The only thing that matters are your goals. And that's why they ask you, uh, what are your financial goals? So we understand what's happening here. Again, bottom line, we are the owners of nothing, but we're the managers of everything. Just like we're the 10-year-old Corey Ball at Wendy's in Worcester, uh, we're the financial advisor at Edward Jones that's managing your money, right? We're the managers, we're not the owners, okay? So we are the owners of nothing, but we're the managers of everything. Now, Jesus, he doesn't name these guys, but I like naming people in the Bible. Uh, it helps me remember. I think it's going to help you remember as well. And so he, the first guy, he gives five bags to, and so he's Frankie five bags. The second guy, he gives two bags to, and it's Timmy two bags. And then the third one, uh, he gives one bag to, and that's Oliver, but Ollie one bag. I, I, I don't know why, but I, I just f- figured I would make him like, sound very mafia-esque, you know. Uh, Frankie Five Bags is probably, he should, he should you know, uh, be in Goodfellas or some other movie like that. Okay, so Frankie Five Bags, Timmy Two Bags, and, uh, and then Ollie One Bag. Okay, so we're going to continue. Uh, verse 16. The servant who received the five bags, Frankie Five Bags, right, of silver, he began to invest the money and he earned five more. The servant with two bags, Timmy, uh, you know, he, he, he took the silver and he also went and he worked and he earned two more, a.k.a. they did not sit on their duff. They didn't just hang out, right? Um, but they actually did some work. They invested it. They were smart about it, okay? And uh, remember, they're investing for God's goals, not their own, but God's goals. And, uh, and both of them, they ended up doubling the money that was given to them. Okay, verse 18. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used the money. Now remember, this is a parable. A parable is a story that is untrue, used to communicate something that is true. It's a story that's untrue, used to communicate something that is true. So what is the truth that Jesus is trying to get to us in this? What's the account? It's this. We're going re- to revisit this at the end. But one day, all of us, myself, and everyone else in this room will stand before a holy God. And you will give an account of your life. Scripture talks about this not once, not twice. It's not one of those things like maybe it was a mistake. It's just translated wrong. No, no, it's, it's a theme all throughout Scripture. We will all give an account of our life to God. Okay, Matthew chapter 25, verse 20. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned you five more. Like, Frankie, five bags is stoked. Now, why is he so excited? He's excited because he did well. And if you've ever been in a sales position, I don't know if, if, if you know, many of you have. I, I have. I, I've sold many things uh, before I was in ministry. But, like, when, when, you know, when my boss was in the Cayman Islands or whatever and he, for a week and he comes back and I sold a lot of roofs, guess what I... I was like the first one on his list, you know. I was like walking in. I'm like, hey, Kirk, guess what? Uh, <laughs> I sold a lot of roofs last week, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I was excited. But those weeks that he went away and I didn't have a good week, guess what I was doing? I had a lot of appointments that morning and the next morning. I couldn't make it in to see the boss. I had other things I had to do. Well, Frankie Fivebags, he, he, he comes forward. And he's like, hey, uh, I, I made you five more, Right? Verse 21, the master, he was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Notice here that the master, he didn't say fruitful. 
He, he didn't say, well done, my good and fruitful servant. He also did not say, well done, my good and sinless servant. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you will be judged, not based on your fruit, per se. There, there, there's, some, there's some scripture in there that, you know, talks about fruit. You're going to be known by your fruit. But when it comes time for your judgment, I think scripture is pretty clear that though you will be rewarded uh, somewhat on some fruitfulness, the ultimate judgment comes on your faithfulness. What did you do with your life? Did you waste it? Did you waste your life? Or did you invest it the way that Frankie and Timmy did? And so this idea of faithful, not fruitful, I, I think one thing that we see in Scripture that is, is more of a correlation, but maybe causation, is the more, more faithful someone is, the more fruit we see. Now, listen, I, I think we also need to hear this because I know this. I know some of you, I know some of you grew up in a church that really messed you up. Some of you grew up in a church that everything about you growing up was about you doing the right thing, about not sinning, about being perfect, about, um, you know, uh, reading your Bible every single day or there's going to be consequences. Going to church three times a week or there's consequences. Very legalistic, heavy burdened. Jesus, he talks about that, right? He condemns that style. He's like, hey, come be an apprentice of me. Uh, it's easy to follow me, right? Uh, it's hard in some ways, but the things that you need to do, they're easy, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think sometimes some of us, we've grown up in these churches that have really weighed on us, but hear me, if you're not perfect in the faithfulness, give yourself a little grace as Jesus does give you grace, but get back on that and be faithful, um, faithful doesn't mean perfect. Per perfection is a poison disguised as a vitamin. It's not good for you. And if you're struggling with perfection in here, I just want to encourage you to hand it over to Jesus. Um, so uh, what we would say here is, is it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way, right? And Jesus wants more for you. He wants you to abide in him, to rest in him. He is for you. Uh, he wants you to be with him. And, uh, and there's this ultimate peace that is found when you are an apprentice of Jesus and you're with him, when you rest in him. All right, chapter 25, 22 through 23. Uh, the servant who had received the two bags of silver, he came forward and he said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Again, Timmy, he's excited. He says, let's celebrate together. Like, like he's inviting Frankie and Timmy into the celebration with who? With the master. Okay, so, so two of them, they go with the master. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver, he came and he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master, he replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank at least I could have gotten some interest on it. Like this cat, 
Ollie one bag. He, uh, he was afraid of the master. Now, hear me. We can look at him and, and, and condemn him and judge him, but I, I want to say this one thing. I think the fact that Ollie was afraid of him uh, shows some understanding of who the master is. Many of us, like, we're not even there. We're not even afraid of the master. Like, the one who created everything, the one who carries out justice and vengeance on this earth, like, we're not even afraid of him. Um, we're, like, we're like a squirrel on the tracks of a freight train barreling down on us, and we're, like, calling the freight train's bluff, you know? Um, and I know you're like, wait a minute, last week in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, you, you specifically said that God is love. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, what are you saying? Okay, well, let me take you to Exodus chapter 34. It's the first time that Jesus, or the first time that God, he, he, he basically describes himself. And after he pontificates on his goodness and his love and his mercy and his compassion and all these things, he says this famous line, but surely I will not let the guilty go unpunished. And I love that moment in Scripture because God goes on and on and on about his forgiveness, compassion, and love, and grace, and all these things. He is those things. But surely he will not let the guilty go unpunished. And I think we have to come to this place. We need to make sure that we are not the guilty. And the gospel takes the label of the guilty, and it, it, instead it gives you the label of the forgiven. Right? I am the guilty without the blood of Jesus. I am the guilty without Jesus, without his sacrifice on the cross. Um, so, okay, uh, wicked and lazy. Uh, I want to like wrap this up as quick as possible. Um, it's a lot of reading. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long parable. Okay, so wicked and lazy. Uh, the master calls him wicked and lazy. Wicked, okay, whatever. Lazy, come on, master, lazy. The other two, do you know what they did? Scripture says they invested the money. Like, I mean, I don't know if you know how, like, the, the, the stock market works, but for the most part, dudes who invest the money in the stock market, they have the money, they invest it, and they do well, um, they're not, like, working super hard, right? They're not factory workers. They're not, they're not frontline medical workers or something like that. Like, they're, they're just chilling. But, but, but Ollie Onebag, why is he lazy? He's not lazy. Master, do you know what he did? He dug a hole and put your money in it. And listen, like, he's not going to dig a hole in town right next to everybody else, next to the tavern and all this stuff. He's going to go outside of the village because that's where it's safe uh, from the townspeople. But still, he's going to risk being, you know, mugged by a bunch of bandits. And he digs a hole, probably the size of a king-size bed, to, to, to bury all of this stuff. And then he has to mark it. And then he has to go back because, hey, the master's coming back. I got to go, go out here. I got to find this money again. I got to dig it up. Like his hands are bleeding. His back is broken. He's soaked with sweat. And so all he one bag, lazy. What do you mean he's lazy? And I think the master, I think he's saying this. Ollie, he was lazy because he wasn't fulfilling my goals. He wasn't living life according to the goals that I had set for him. He was living life according to the goals that he wanted for himself. He, he was the financial, uh, financial advisor that wanted the house in Barcelona and the yellow Ferrari. He was doing his own thing. He wasn't doing my thing. And I think this, I think that, listen to this. I, I think that so many times in church in America, we get caught up in church stuff that we never make it to kingdom stuff. 
And I'm not saying that church stuff is bad. In fact, it's good. We, we do the church stuff here. Uh, we're commanded to, and we will always do church stuff. We're always going to have a service. We're always going to have small groups or some form of a Bible study. Uh, we're always going to have those types of things. But often we get so busy in church stuff that we never make it to kingdom stuff. What, are, what is the kingdom stuff? When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom stuff? The kingdom stuff is loving your neighbor. It's serving in the community, serving your neighbor. It's being overly generous to your neighbors. It, it, it's, it's not about, again, last week we talked about deep Christianity. Deep Christianity isn't about this. It's not about this, but it's about these and these Deep Christianity isn't about what you know, but it's about what you do with what you know. And so the kingdom stuff is telling others about Jesus, right? Not the pastor, but you, you. Um, the kingdom stuff is spending time teaching others the commands that Jesus has commanded us. That's the great commission. Yeah, that's church stuff, but that's also kingdom stuff. And I need you to hear that at Redemption, we don't stop at church stuff, we go to the kingdom stuff. And I'd love to tell you more about that. I want to cut it out. But uh, there's a bunch of stuff that we, we have planned for 2021 that I'm so excited about. And, um, and so I'll tell you sometime. Ask me, hey, what's the kingdom stuff that Redemption's going to do? Uh, I'd love to tell you. At the end of the day, uh, at Redemption, we will be faithful to steward God's things for God's goals. We will be faithful to steward God's things for God's goals. I promise you this. This is Corey Ball saying, hey, you, you know what I want to do? I just want to read all day. <laughs> or I just want to hang out and like joke with some friends all day. Um, I want to barbecue all day. Uh, you know, those are the things. I want to travel all day. Um, you know what I, I often don't want to do? I, I often don't want to love my neighbors the way that Jesus has called me to love them. I often don't want to tell someone who needs to hear about the gospel, I often don't want to tell them about Jesus. Because at the end of the day, my heart sometimes is not screaming for those things. But I know those are the goals of the master, and I know uh, that the kingdom will grow when we do those things. And at redemption, we will be faithful to steward God's things for God's goals. We're the owners of nothing, but we're the managers of everything. So how does this end? It ends like this, Matthew chapter 25, 28 through 30. Uh, then the master, he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those uh, who use well what they are given, even more will be given, but they will have, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable takes a serious turn. Remember, Frankie five bags, Timmy two bags. They're welcomed in to celebrate. And the third one, Ollie one bag. He's thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is one of Jesus' descriptions of hell. And so in the parable, the master takes the one who didn't live his life for the goals of the master. He didn't invest his money, but he didn't, overall, all around, he didn't live his life for the goals of the master, and he throws him in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I think we need to hear this, that we have an opportunity to follow the master. We have an opportunity to reorient our life around the master, to live for the kingdom of God, to stop being the squirrel on the tracks 
calling the train's bluff. We have the opportunity to not live our life full of sweat with with bleeding hands and broken back, trying to do the things that we think are right and digging a hole outside the village. And we have an opportunity to invest the things that God has given us for his goals, God's things for God's goals. And um, it's just called being a disciple of Jesus. It's called being an apprentice of Jesus. And if you want to do that today, if you want to follow Jesus, if you believe that your way isn't the best, they're digging the king-size uh, hole you know, outside the village in, in the middle of the day. It's not the best. Uh, that God's way is the best. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So I just want to invite you to do this. If, if you're at a place where you're like, hey, you know what? I want to follow that master, the one who uh, celebrates with those who, uh, who make the decision to follow him, to, to, to invest God's things for God's gold. I, I want to follow Jesus. I believe his way is better. I don't want to be the squirrel on the tracks. Uh, I would invite you to pray this with me. Um, I'm just going to ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. If this is you... Um, uh, scripture says in uh, verse 11 of Romans chapter 10, it says, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And if you're making this decision for the first time tonight, I just want you to pray this with me. Lord, I believe that I am guilty without your salvation. I believe that I need you to save me. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that your son, Jesus, was crucified on the cross rose from the grave in order to save me. I want to follow you with my hand on the plow uh, and my eyes looking forward. Thank you for saving me. Listen, uh, amen to that. If, if, if you made that decision today, as you walked in, you got a connect card. I just want to invite you to put your name on that card and to check the box to say that you made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to follow up with you. Um, Scripture says that you're a new creation. My my favorite verse when I was a kid, I was 13 years old. I gave my life to Christ. I was reading my Bible by myself in my room uh, one night, and I was reading Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, Any man having put their hand to the plow and looking behind is not fit for the kingdom of God. It's become a life verse for me. I, I want to invite you, if you've decided to follow Jesus, don't look back. Full steam ahead toward the master who celebrates with those who follow him. Don't put your hand to the plow and look behind. Keep your eyes forward.